Thank you, Beth, for opening God's word to us. Thank you, Kay, for leading us in prayer as we continue our sermon series on those seven letters to the church, churches in the book of Revelation. And so I encourage you to open your Bibles or pull one from the pew rack. We'll get to Revelation chapter 3 in just a minute. But as we begin today, I'd just like to say that what's been going on in our country isn't normal. Fifteen days ago, an 18-year-old man, motivated by racial hatred, killed 10 people and injured three others in a grocery store in Buffalo, New York. Fourteen days ago, a man motivated by political hatred killed one person and injured five others at the Taiwanese church in California, Glendale Presbyterian Church, where they worship. Five days ago, another 18-year-old man killed 19 fourth-graders and two teachers at Robb Elementary School in Olvedi, Texas. This isn't normal, and it shouldn't be normalized. In our grief and our prayers, we must continue to ask how we can be formed into people who model the life of our Savior, who taught us that there is something worth dying for, but nothing worth killing for. Words seem insufficient for this level of grief that some that we will never know are experiencing, and even some levels of grief that many of us may be experiencing. I invite you to take time to to lament and intercede. Pray that God would embolden and equip us as his people with courage and, and creativity to work for peace and to be the conduits of compassion in these very troubled times. Let's lament instead of leaving. Sometimes too quickly we we go into political mode or debate gun control or systematic racism and food inequality for the black community, mental health, etc., etc. These are conversations we must have, but let's just not go there alone without lamenting and grieving and saying, this isn't the way it should be. Weep over the root issue of what's going on, what you're learning, even though you may disagree with proposed solution. Killing innocent people, friends, is evil. It is a sin. The God of the universe weeps with us today. And we are invited to do the same with others. Let's look to the cross The cross is God's declaration of love and justice. Jesus is fiercely committed to setting the world right and will not let any sin, even and especially mass shootings, go unpunished. He is overwhelmingly committing us to loving us so much that he's willing to go through hell and absorb the full wrath of God and punishment for our sins on our behalf. That scripture from Matthew chapter 16 that Beth read for us this morning, before Jesus went to Jerusalem, he went to the northernmost part of modern-day Israel, Caesarea Philippi. I've been there. You You can see Syria. He took them literally to a cave where the ancients threw children in 
to the cave appeasing a God so that it would rain on their crops. Friends, Jesus was literally standing at the gates of hell when he made this declaration. And the church will be built upon my faith, my sacrifice. And he said what? The gates of Hades or the gates of hell will not prevail. Jesus is willing to go through hell. He has gone through hell, friends. And even as we remember this weekend, others who have gone through hell and lost their lives for the sake of defending and fighting through freedom this Memorial Day, may we pause in the midst of all of it. May we pause in the midst of all of it and give thanks for the day that God has created and given to us. Amen? Every day is a gift, and men and women have sacrificed and lost their lives defending freedom, and we are far from a perfect country. But I believe just as Jesus in John chapter 11, with the death of his dear friend Lazarus, with questions swirling, where were you, Jesus? Why didn't you come and save him? He came, and Mary and Martha came, and family came, and friends came with their grief, and he sat there and wept with them in the midst of it. And then he foreshadowed that he would go to the cross and make all evil, all sin, right. And so let's keep this in mind this Memorial Day weekend as we engage the letter to Philadelphia, a letter where Jesus has praise for the church at Philadelphia. Philadelphia in Asia Minor, not in Pennsylvania, by the way. It was very interesting. Both Pastor Curtis and I were at the Philadelphia airport a week apart on different missions, but we just both flew back in the last couple of weeks from Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. You know, when Philadelphia in Asia Minor was founded, it was founded by one brother who kept it going for the next brother. That was totally unusual. Just look at the Herod. Sometimes if you had kings or rulers, they would kill off their family just so that they could keep the throne all to themselves and nobody, even their family members, could take it away from it, from them. And so Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, comes from the fact that when it was founded, and I believe it was 149 B.C., by one brother, he set it up for the next brother <laughs> 50 years later, the city of brotherly love. But this church in Philadelphia finds no condemnation found in some of the other letters. And Jesus speaks to these believers. He commends them and encourages them. But not once does he have to rebuke them or to tell them, repent, turn around and go the different direction. This is a church, we'll learn, that's weak in itself, but mighty in the power of the Spirit. Like the other churches, Jesus loves this church so much. One of the brothers that I talked about in 149 BC said, you know what, this area of Asia Minor, we're going to bring in Greek culture, we're going to bring in language, we're going to make it the gospel of Greek in this area. And people are going to know the Greek way of life. 
Philadelphia was to be the door for the Greek culture for this whole region. Now a new door of opportunity was wide open in Philadelphia. Not for the gospel of the Greeks, but for the gospel of what? Jesus. It was open to a small band of seemingly weak and uninfluential Christian brothers and sisters, a band of Christians very much like you and me. And so, friends, let's listen to the letter today, the letter of Jesus to the church in Philadelphia. Revelation chapter 3, beginning with verse 7. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied My name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And I pray this morning, friends, that we might have fresh ears and fresh hearts and fresh minds and fresh souls to begin to understand that God is on the move. God is on the move in our midst, even amidst tragedy and horror. Jesus says... Behold, I have put before you an open door. And friends, I want to just think with you a few minutes this morning about the open door that Jesus had for the church at Philadelphia and the open door that Jesus may have for the church here at Good Shepherd and other churches in Orange and Los Angeles counties. No doubt, one way that the door is open is for salvation. Every day that God gives us is a gift to know him more deeply. And today, if you don't know Jesus, that open door is there for you today. He is waiting. He loves you. He has died for you. And he wants to welcome you home. The door is open to being with Jesus forever. It is wide open. The second way the door is open, I think, that we can gain from this text, it's open for ministry and mission opportunities. What door has Jesus opened for us? What door has Jesus opened for the church in Philadelphia for mission and ministry? And not only has he opened that door, Jesus encouraged the church what? To go through the door. How many of you have had a time where you went to open a door for someone you thought was coming in? And then they didn't. (laughs) 
false alarm, right? My mama always taught me, open the door for others. Have you ever had a situation like that? Or maybe a door was unexpectedly opened to you for you to go through. What a blessing, right? Jesus also describes himself as the one who holds the keys of David in verse 7. Did you catch that? I am the one who holds the keys of David. That phrase reaches way back, if you will, to the Old Testament, to a man named Eliakim who said he was to have the key of David in Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22. Eliakim was the steward for King Hezekiah. If you wanted to get to King Hezekiah, you had to go through Eliakim. He was the one that would open the door. Eliakim was sovereign and in control to the access of King Hezekiah. And I think that's the point that Jesus is making here in Revelation chapter 3. In God's household, in God's kingdom, Jesus is in control. Absolute authority rests in his hands. A Sunday school teacher decided to have her young class memorize one of the most quoted passages in the Bible, Psalm 23. She gave the youngsters a month to learn the chapter, but little Ricky was so excited about the task, but he just couldn't remember it. After much practice, he could barely get past that first line, the Lord is my shepherd. On the day the kids were scheduled to recite Psalm 23 in front of the congregation, Ricky was still so very nervous. And when it was his turn, he stepped up to the microphone and said proudly, The Lord is my shepherd, and that's all I need to know. (laughs) That's good news, isn't it? And some days when the earth is spinning out of control and our lives seem out of control, Jesus is in control. He is our shepherd, and that's all I need to know. And so this morning, friends, ask Jesus to help you to remain faithful and steadfast in your commitment to him as Savior and Lord in the midst of these hard days and confusing days and yet joyous days that we're living in. Seek his help to overcome any opposition and strengthen those places where your spiritual defenses may be weak. The church in Philadelphia was weak in strength. They were considered nobodies, maybe not even able to get the job done. Things are not the way they should be in their minds. And yet God was on the move in the midst of the Church of Philadelphia, in the midst of Greek culture that had other ideas and other hopes and dreams. The gospel of Jesus was saturating the area. One thing I picked up, friends, in the midst of all these letters to the churches. Jesus was right there in the middle of it. We're told in the opening chapter once again of Revelation chapter 1, John says he heard a voice behind him like a trumpet, clear and crisp. And when he turned to see that voice, he saw seven golden lampstands, and in the middle of the lampstands was one like the Son of Man. Chapter 1, verse 13. The seven lampstands to represent the seven churches. And who was in the middle of it? Jesus. 
Jesus is right there in the midst of the messes and the miracles, the joys and concerns of life. Can you sense it, friends? That Jesus was there in the midst of the church of Philadelphia. Jesus is here in the midst of Good Shepherd. Did you know that the church in Philadelphia was situated on the edge of an active volcanic area? And a lot of times the people were used to just getting out of Dodge because the volcano was erupting, which created earthquakes. On the one hand, it meant that they had rich and fertile soil and hot springs, right? But on the other hand, it meant constant danger from the earthquakes and the lava. Tremors, strong and jolting, were frequent. Whenever a quake struck, the people of Philadelphia would flee the city. When the aftershocks subsided, they would return. What did Jesus say in his letter to the church of Philadelphia? The one who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. They can rest in the arms of Jesus. Jesus is going to remain the same no matter what earthquake is going on around us. My presence with you, Jesus says, will not be disturbed by any geological, economic, or political disorder. It won't be disturbed by COVID, these racial tensions, senseless taking of human life. Jesus isn't going anywhere. He's going to be in the midst of our lamenting and our grief and our questions and our fears. And all in the midst of all this, is the words of Jesus saying, I have set an open door before you. And what I open, no one or no thing can shut. Thus, the church in Philadelphia had this opportunity in the midst of their many obstacles. And Jesus himself knew, faced them with little power. He knew they had little power. They were, had micro power, little but mighty power. The church before which Jesus set an open door of opportunity in and of itself lacked the resources to overcome these obstacles. And in some ways, that's exactly where she needed to be. That is the way the church should be. For the Christian life, friends, cannot be lived apart from Jesus. Would you agree with that? The Christian life cannot be lived apart from Jesus. Without him, we have little power. And he is always calling the church into mission beyond our resources so that we have to depend on him. We learn in the letter to the church in Philadelphia that they, they faced opposition from a small but yet fanatical group. A people, once again, that was labeled just like in the church to Smyrna, the synagogue of Satan. There was that obstacle. The thunderclouds of persecution were gathering all around them. And again, in the face of this, the church could have given in to the temptation to retreat, to hunker down, to protect itself to the storm. No, said the Lord of the church, the door of opportunity is open. This is not a time to play it safe. This is not a time to play it safe. Look, says Jesus, I have put before you an open door. Now go for it. No time for huddling, even in the face of opposition.
Friends, today things are not as they seem. Things are not as they should be. Yes, as was the case in Philadelphia, there are obstacles, real and substantial. The news is probably going to click on to some more this week. And yet, Jesus is calling us to be the church, even when we have very little physical, spiritual, and emotional strength. Jesus is writing to the church and says, I have opened a door before you. I am standing there holding the door wide open for you. Friends, what's keeping us from walking through that open door? What do we do? Do we sit back and say, because we can't do it all, we do nothing? Or do we go ahead and do what we can with what we have? It's not how much we can do that matters most, friends, but it's what we do with what we have that counts. Maybe you can identify like me with the church in Philadelphia having very little strength. To feel opposition closing in and around. To use the military metaphor associated with this city, if we're going to pull down strongholds, if we're going to assault the very gates of hell, if we are going to place, to be a place where the enemy is defeated, we're going to have to face an enemy who doesn't want to see us succeed. An enemy who wants to bind us and take away our freedom. Friends, we have an enemy. And the enemy wants to distract us or discourage us from walking through that open door. The door that was open for the church in Philadelphia, friends, is a door that's open for us. May we take time to sit and be still before the Lord and say, what is on the other side of that door? What would you have us to do? How can we build a bridge between Christ and culture to build a bridge between his power and the needs of people to build a bridge between his kingdom and our world? Friends, our mission to invite everyone to grow into a Christ-centered life in God's family comes from God himself. We have an opportunity. And in the text today, Jesus tells us in verse 11, as he told the church in Philadelphia, to hold on. That hold on in, in, the, in the Greek, if you will, behind that is to seize the opportunity. It doesn't mean just hold on and don't do anything. Or the nine or ten last words of a dying church. We've never done it that way before. <laughs> That's not what holding on means. Holding on means seize the day sees the opportunity, discern the open door. I wonder how many times Christ has walked up and held the door open for a church, but the church refused to walk through it. How many times has Jesus said, okay, since this church is refusing, I'll open the door for another church? My thoughts, not his. As this letter draws to a close, Jesus gives us hope. The promise of victory for those who overcome, in verse 12. For those who overcome. That word, overcome, is in all seven letters to the churches. To those who hold on, tap into Jesus' strength, not ours. To those who overcome, I will be faithful. 
Anybody ever heard of Tommy Lasorda in these parts? <laughs> Tommy Lasorda says there are three types of people in this world. People who make it happen, people who watch it happen, and people who wonder what happened. <laughs> I think Jesus is calling us to a people to make it happen through the reliance and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Jesus wants to see his church make it happen by walking through those doors. The issues around us are going to be there. The door is open, Jesus says. Let's walk through it together. He says, I will make you strong. I will supply what you need. So friends, in the midst of many days of uncertainty, let's discern together what door is Jesus open for Good Shepherd Presbyterian. And let's walk through it in faith, knowing that he will promise to never leave us nor forsake us. Amen? Amen. Dear Jesus, we love you and we thank you for your promise to be right in the middle of the messiness of life. Lord, your presence here is welcomed. And for those this morning that need to reach out and take your hand as the good shepherd and to walk forever with you, I pray that that door would be just so real and obvious and your peace that surpasses all understanding would be in our midst. For the door that is opening for those of us who are followers of Jesus, may we, we have courage to discern mission and ministry that may be challenging, that may be hard. And Jesus says that's exactly the point. You are weak, but I am strong. May we hold on. May we overcome by the strength and power of your Holy Spirit. And may we continue to listen to your word, to your church, every day that you give us. We pray this in your name. Amen.